Good morning. Uh, some of you uh, remember, uh, I just taught here like six months ago, so it's good that some of you are here to hear me. And I'm kind of Paul's go-to guy when he goes on vacation in August. I think this is the fourth year. So, you'll, so I'm not going to burn my bridge today. You'll see me next August, hopefully. Yeah, if you think it's a joke, it was a joke. So that's good. You're laughing. Um, yeah, some of you have taken the tours over the years. We've taken 22,000 people on the different tours, and your church has taken them a number of times. So it's good to be here because I feel like I'm starting to get to know you, and uh, you start to get to know my humor and things. And I always have a few surprises, so I'll have a few today. Don't worry. Be happy. I know all the 80s songs, so don't worry. Um, let me click here. So today, the title of the sermon today is, What is the Bible Really About Really? Let me say it again. What is the Bible really about really? And I know for you English majors, you're not liking what that grammar, but um, most of us go to church, we study the Bible, but a lot of us don't really know how it hangs together. And a lot of times we just read certain books of the Bible, and we read them over and over. There's this thing called the 20-80 rule. You read like 20% of the Bible 80% of the time. And so you miss a lot of things. And so I just want to talk to you about what is the Bible really about? How does it hang together? Um, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for study. And so if, if the Bible tells us that, why aren't we doing it? So let's talk a bit about what the Bible's about, how to understand it. Uh, 92% of Americans own a Bible. American households own a Bible, so that's good. Uh, 59% of Americans say they read the Bible occasionally. That might be once a year or something, but they occasionally read it. 37% say they read the Bible at least once per week, so it's getting better. 14% belong to a Bible study. So a number of you have been in Bible studies. I've been in different Bible studies over the years. And I'm always blessed by hearing what other people are thinking. And, you know, I read it by myself, but sometimes it's good to hear what other people are thinking and they pull things out. Like his aha moment today was a good aha. And uh, here's where it gets tricky, though. 12% believe that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. And that, that seems to be a little bit of a problem because they lived a long time apart and they are not related. Um, and, nine, and here's why 12% believe that Noah's wife is Joan of Arc. Because only 9% of Christians read the whole Bible once in their life. And yet, it doesn't take that long to read. It only takes 70 to 100 hours to read the whole Bible out loud. Which means you even read it slower when you're out loud. So, I mean, if you wanted to, you could read it in a couple days. I wouldn't recommend it. But uh, it's not long. People think it's long, but really, some of you binge-watch Game of Thrones and other shows, and it's much longer than 70 to 100 hours. So you can do it if you want to. So a couple people have tried to read the whole Bible. This is why I don't recommend it out loud at one time. So this guy named David Bathurst, age 51, 2011, he tried to read the whole Bible out loud straight. He got five-minute breaks. I know what you're thinking, but he got to go to the bathroom or eat or whatever he wanted. He could sleep for five minutes. 
if you wanted to. And he, he started reading, and after 24 hours, he passed out in the middle of Jeremiah. If you've read Jeremiah, that's probably about the time you want to pass out. Um, Jeremiah actually is not my favorite book. It's kind of depressing. So, uh, I have the spiritual gift of discouragement, but so does Jeremiah. So this guy was reading through, and he literally passed out after 24 hours straight. So I don't recommend that methodology. It didn't work. Uh, no one's read it through. No one can stay up that long. But one guy did preach through the whole Bible, Pastor Zach, I don't know how you say his name, Zendern, age 31. Notice he's younger. He preached through the whole Bible in 53 hours and 18 minutes in 2014. You can look on uh, YouTube and see him do it if you want to. Now, preaching is different because he didn't preach through every word of the Bible. The other guy was trying to read every word. This guy was just preaching the themes of the Bible. But he did it. And he learned from the other guy that passed out. So he saved up his breaks. He ate while he was speaking. He, uh, you know, he took like an hour nap. He saved up his time after a while. And so he did it. Um, so, so those are two ways you might not want to do it. Um, the book of Ruth is the easiest Bible to, uh, book in the Bible to understand. And so if you haven't read any Bible, I would start with Ruth because you can get it done. You'll understand it. And the hardest to understand is Ezekiel. So if this guy didn't pass out in Jeremiah, the next book was Ezekiel. He was going to pass out sooner or later. So the word Bible, a lot of you don't even know what the word means. The Bible is derived from the word biblion, which means roll or scroll. Remember, before they had books, they would roll it up and, in a scroll. So it means book, basically. And there's a city called Biblos, and that's where they would make books. It was the city of books. Um, so the Bible, the word Bible means the book. It just means the book. In the Old Testament, there's 39 different books. In the New Testament, there's 27 different books, and they cover large periods of history. The whole Old Testament covers 4,000 years of history, and the New Testament covers 100 years. So it's a big difference. When you read the Old Testament, a lot of it's history. you read the New Testament, a lot of it's very uh, personal, uh, narrative. And so there's a big difference. So I'm going to show you what 4,000 years and 100 years look like. So let's see. There's four of you. Come on up here. And you three, come on up here. This is the part where you interact. So I need your help. Yeah, I'm a teacher in college, too, so you got to be careful where you sit. So, okay, is it all unfolded there? Okay. So, again, most of you can't visualize history. So let me just show you a little bit, just so you have fun here. So, so this is Genesis back here. The whole book of Genesis goes to, let's see, where is it? It's hard for me to watch, too. See, where's there's Tower Tower of Babel's here. Look at how much time there. 
Let's see, Exodus. Here's, here's Exodus, Moses. So the second book of the Bible is that. Jesus is here in history. So look how much time the Bible, the Old Testament covers all that. The New Testament is about one inch. Okay? So some of you don't like the Old Testament. Great. Start with the New Testament. You'll get done quicker. And then look at, from Jesus to our time, this only goes to Bush. So it doesn't have Obama and Trump, but we could add another couple inches. But look at all of history. And I just think it's interesting because most of us, we don't think of when we're reading the Bible, the story, God's story. History is his story. It's about God and what he's doing. And he's doing it through us, through the nations. And should we make them stand up here the whole time? What do you think? Be better than looking at me. No, they could sit down. Give them a hand. I want you to just fold it up. And But I wanted to show you that because sometimes when you read, it's hard to, to, to kind of look at the timeline. So I wanted to show you a timeline. You could buy it at Barnes & Noble if you want. But um, scripture, The word scripture sometimes is used to describe the Bible. In the New Testament, they call the books sacred books, and they call it scripture. In the Old Testament, they're called scripture, and you can see some of the verses there. We don't have time to go through all the verses, but um, also sometimes the Bible's called the Word of God. So sometimes you hear the Word of God. That's another word for the Bible or scripture. Another word sometimes people use is canon. And before I was a Christian, I was like, canon? What do, what do you mean a canon? But canon means rule. It means measuring stick in Greek. It was like how they measured something, like a ruler. And so um, now some of you are into Star Wars or whatever. There's canon of Star Wars. There's canon of Marvel Comics. and So some of you know the word, but sometimes the Bible's called the canon. Um, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament uh, 24 books of the Old Testament he quoted. So if Jesus is quoting, a lot of times he's fulfilling those quotations. He's fulfilling the prophecy. So a lot of people don't like to read the Old Testament, but you really can't understand the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. They go together. Uh, the New Testament quotes 34 of 39 books. They don't quote Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So those are the only five books not quoted. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they just dug them up in 1947, but they have quotations from every book of the Old Testament except Esther, and they have the whole entire book of Isaiah. So we know that the scripture is accurate because we can go back thousands of years, and it hasn't changed. And I could give a whole other lecture or sermon on that, but we're just talking more macro today. So to properly understand the, the New Testament, you're, when I heard your pastor was going through Romans, I thought, wow, Romans quotes the Old Testament 58 times. And so you can't really understand Romans unless you understand the Old Testament. They, they go close together. Or 56 times, I said 58, but 56. So again, a lot of people stumble. They don't like the book of Revelation. If you like... If you want to understand Revelation, you have to understand Genesis. They go together. The first book and the last book go together. The Revelation is the fulfillment of Genesis. And so often we study one book in a very siloed form, 
But the, all of Scripture hangs together. There are themes, there are ideas that go through all the books of the Bible. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And it's interesting. It was written uh, by a non-Jew. And it's the oldest written book in the Bible, about 2200 B.C. So it's, it's interesting. It's about suffering and problem of evil. And every culture, every person deals with these issues. Um, so if you look at the Old Testament, again, it covers about 1,800 years of history. I mean, it was written over 1,800 years period. Uh, the New Testament was written over 50 years of period, and it covers about 100 years. So again, very different. One's more macro, the Old Testament very macro, and the New Testament very micro. So there are some, there are some uh, sections of the Bible. Many of you know these, but I'll just go over them quickly. The first five books are called the Torah or the Law or the Pentateuch. And it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Sometimes they're called the book of, books of Moses or the five books of Moses. Then there's Old Testament. There's history, Joshua through Esther. And you read every section of the Bible reads differently. You read uh, history different than you read poetry or prophecy. And so you have to understand what you're reading in order to interpret it correctly. The wisdom literature, that's some of my favorite. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs. Then the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then there's 12 minor prophets. They're not minor because they're less important. They're just smaller books. And that's Hosea to Malachi. And then the New Testament also has these different sections or uh, pieces. The Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're called the synoptic gospels. They're similar. They, 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 about 80% of the content is the same. But the book of John is also a gospel, but it doesn't have very much in common with those other three. For example, in the book of John, there's no proverbs. I mean, I'm sorry, no parables. The other books are full of parables. John has no parables recorded. Doesn't mean he didn't like parables, but he's emphasizing something different. And about 80% of, of John is unique material. It's, it's not in the other three. Uh, then there's early church history, the book of Acts. There's the Pauline letters or epistles, Romans, First uh, and Second Corinthians, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians. Then, then Paul was in prison a couple times, and he wrote these prison letters. Again, when you're in prison, you write a different kind of tone. Some people like these books the best in the whole Bible, Philippians. Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians. Very encouraging. He's in prison and he's trying to encourage us. And then there's the Pauline pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus. They deal with issues about the church and and, uh, leadership in the church. And then there's uh, books called the general epistles. They don't have a name. They just lump them together. Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. And then there's the apocalypse, the revelation about the future and about uh, apocalyptic things going to happen. And so you interpret things different. You interpret revelation different than you interpret Acts or the Gospels. And by the way, these books are not written in the order that we have them. They've been collected and put in an order, but they're not written in the order 
I mean, they're not in the order that they were written. So when I read the Bible every year, I read it chronological. I read it chronologically. So I read, first thing I read is John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, the Word was with God. I read that first. Then I read Genesis. Then I go into Job. Then I go back to Genesis. Sounds confusing, but I have a bookmark, so it helps me out. But when you read it chronologically, you get the point. It hangs together. I've read it the other way, too. But So let's talk about why should we trust the Bible? Sometimes you hear people say, well, the Bible is authoritative or it has authority. Well, what does that mean? The Bible is inspired. God inspired it. He didn't write it. He didn't hand it to us all written. He inspired authors in their minds to write things down. Sometimes he said, write it down, and he di- they dictated it. Other times it was just they wrote down what they saw or what they heard, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by God. It wasn't just their opinion. It wasn't just their ideas. Um, so because it's from God, it has power. It has, it, it, God gave it to us to give us an idea about how we should live our life and what, what we should value, how we should treat each other. Um, so the authority of the Bible is permanent. It's absolute. It doesn't change. We change, society changes, but the Bible doesn't. Um, some people have a trouble with that, but that's, it's true. And church and traditions change, creeds change, councils change, um, but the Bible doesn't change. So we always go back to it and try to interpret from our culture what is it trying to say to us as people? What is it trying to say as a church? What is it trying to say for people who live in Egan? You know, what, what does it mean today? So the Bible is the ultimate written standard of truth. And it's our final th- supreme authority by which human conduct and opinions should be tested. So I can have an opinion about God or about the Bible, but if it's not accurate or doesn't um, connect with the Bible, it's wrong. It uh, doesn't mean every thought I have about God is wrong, but I should check it. I should read it. I should see what the Bible says first and then develop my idea from that. Most of us do it the other way around. We get an idea and then we look for a verse to support it. Um, oops, I forgot to advance. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit because you can read the Bible and not understand it. And you could read it and not be a Christian. There's a thing called illumination. Illumination's like a light. It illumines you. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts and our minds to help us understand the Bible. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't really totally get it. We might get pieces of it, but it, it really doesn't make sense. So God guides all believers to truth. So when we read it, the Holy Spirit's opening our mind, opening our hearts We still need to carefully study it. You can't just randomly study it. And we need to recognize different contexts and speech, you know, forms of speech that is talking about literary forms. But if we do that, the Holy Spirit will transform our mind. He will transform our heart. But he also will transform our actions. Because we don't want to just hear. We want to hear and we want to help people. We want to do something with it. So it's head, heart, and hands. Um, 
So, so again, beware. You could study the Bible a lot and not find Jesus. The Pharisees and Sadducees knew the Bible better than John and Peter and James. But guess what? They, weren't, they didn't get it. They, they interpreted it the way they wanted to. And he called, Jesus called them blind. And Jesus tells us we need eyes to see, ears to hear. And that's what the Bible gives us, eyes and ears through the Holy Spirit. So when we read, we should pray that the Holy Spirit would help us understand it, help us see that aha moment or what we're supposed to learn. Okay, let's, let's talk about how the Bible was given. It's called progressive revelation or covenants. And the concept is that God didn't give us the whole Bible at once, did he? He didn't sit down and Moses wrote everything and it's all done from... No, it was written over thousands of years by different authors. So the idea is that different sections of the Bible, um, God is revealing more about himself as time goes on. You saw the history there. And things that God revealed um, are given in stages. So not everything, even Jesus came at a certain time. He could have came right after the fall, but he didn't, did he? And God has a plan. And then there's prophecies in the Bible. Not all of them have been fulfilled yet. So some prophecies are only partially fulfilled. Some will be fulfilled later. We call it already, not yet. So this, again, what I'm going to show you is just, it's just a way of looking at the Bible. Don't get hung up on the details. But there are patterns. There are uh, ways. But, but you can come up with your own ways. This is not... Uh, it's just different ideas, just to get you to react. So God makes a covenant. And what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise. When you get married, that's a promise. You're going to, you know, you have to take a vow and there's a promise there. Uh, when you sign your mortgage paper, that is a promise that you will pay it back monthly, so much per month for 30 years or however long it is. And if you follow the promise, you will get a blessing. You get a house, you get a wife, you get children, whatever. If you don't follow the promise, you don't pay your mortgage, they repossess your house. If you break your marriage covenant, you get divorced or you have problems. So there are blessings with the promise. There are curses with it too. Now God keeps his part of the promise. God keeps his covenant. We're the ones that break it. So God is always coming back to us. And the Bible is about that. God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he keeps making a way for us to know him. And that's what the Bible is a love story, actually. He's pursuing us, and he doesn't give up on us. Even when we give up on God, he doesn't give up on us. So there's the first covenant that God made was in the Garden of Eden. It was called the Edenic Covenant, Eden. And it's innocence. We didn't fall yet, and God gave us work to do. He, he told us to be obedient to him. He, there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil, and there was responsibility towards creation. We are supposed to take care of it. That was the first covenant. Did we, did we follow that covenant? No, we broke it. So guess what? God made a new covenant called the Edenic Covenant with Adam. And it's about dominion. He said that you will rule the earth. But there was also punishment and curses for Adam and Eve. But also, even in Genesis 3, there's a promise of the Savior. The Savior will come and crush the head of the serpent through the line of Eve. 
So there's this promise, even though we break the covenant, this promise continues. Then later, after the flood and everything, God makes a promise with Noah, the Noahic covenant, and it's about preserving. God says, I will never wipe out the face of the earth, the people, the animals again through a flood. And he gives a rainbow as a sign, and he allows us to eat meat. They lived longer, and they didn't eat meat. And they also had capital punishment. Then the Abrahamic covenant, God said the land, God would bless the land, bless the people, the descendants and nationhood of Israel. He said the whole world would be blessed through Abraham. And we are. We're blessed through Abraham. Then later, the Mosaic Covenant, the law through Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the blessing and the curses. And by the way, there isn't just Ten Commandments. There's actually 613 commandments. 365 are negative. Don't do this. And a lot of people think God is negative. Don't do, don't do that. But actually, 200 and almost 250, 248 are positive. Do this. Do this. So again, a covenant, um, the covenant law... Then God had another covenant later called the Israelite covenant, promised restoration. Before the people even go into the land, he says, you know what? You're going to break the promise here, and I'm going to have to scatter you and punish you, but I want you to know I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back after a time, and that's, a, and that's what happened. So they went in the land, and shortly thereafter, they broke the covenant. And they were scattered later on in history, and God would restore them. And then there's the Davidic covenant, David, King David. And it's a promise. Again, through the line of David will come the Messiah. And then the new covenant is the whole New Testament. Sometimes we call the the New Testament the new covenant. And it's about redemption and grace. And Jeremiah 31, if that guy wouldn't have passed out, he would have got to Jeremiah 31... And it's a promise. And the the whole New Testament is fulfilling the promise of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. So Jesus comes as that promise in the Old Testament to redeem us, to redeem humanity. And then these two are questionable. It depends on your theology, and we don't know them because they're in the future. But some say there will be this millennial covenant of peace, a thousand years. Others, uh, when there's a new creation, new heaven, new earth, New Jerusalem, there'll be another covenant. But again, we don't know the details because it hasn't happened. So again, God's working through all these covenants. Here's another one. I read a book called The Whole, what's it called? The True Story of the Whole Bible uh, by Craig Bartholomew, Michael Guhin. And he, came, he, he said, maybe this will be easier if you don't like the covenant. He said that the Bible's like a six-act play. A six-act story, a six-act drama, um, or opera, or whatever, or like Star Wars, isn't there six? Yeah, six acts in Star Wars. We don't want to go off on the Star Wars tangent, sorry. But basically, it's six parts. So act one, or the first part of the story, is God establishes the kingdom, and and the theme is creation. By the way, it's about the king and the kingdom. The whole Bible is about the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God over a hundred times. And he said, seek the kingdom first. So the, the story is about the kingdom and the king. The king is God. 
So in the second act of the six-act play is rebellion in the kingdom. That's the fall. And the third act is the king chooses Israel. The redemption is initiated, and there's two parts to it. There's a king for the people, David and so forth, the line, and then the land for the king or for the people. And then there's this interlude um, in a long play or whatever. They'll have an interlude, and there's an interlude in the Bible, too. There's 400 years of silence, they call it, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was no prophets. There was no prophecy until John the Baptist came, and he was declaring that the kingdom is here and Jesus is coming. So there was this 400 years of silence. That's kind of the interlude period. And that's when Israel rebuilt the temple and all these things happened. And then there's Act 4, the coming of the king, the redemption accomplished. So that's the the New Testament. And then Act 5 is the spreading of the news of the king, the mission of the church. So that's the book of Acts, scene 1 from Jerusalem to Rome. And we actually are part of the story. The story didn't end at the book of Acts didn't end in the book of Revelation. It's happening now. We're in scene two. We're supposed to spread the gospel to the whole world. So we're part of this story. It's not just in the Bible. You're in this story. And then Acts 6 is the return of the king. Once we do our part, Jesus will return and redemption will be complete. So we're in, we're actually in Acts 6. Uh, Act 5, scene 2 of a six-act play. That might be more helpful than a timeline. You could see that, that we're almost done with history. And again, history is his story. It's God's directing all of history towards this culminating moment where he returns. He restores everything to new again, just like the Garden of Eden. Oh, we'll, we'll be living in a city instead of a garden. And we... We are all each part of this divine story. We aren't just watching it. So when you read the Bible, don't read it passively. That's history, but you're, you have a role in this story too. So we're all part of it. And this is the greatest time in history. This is Act 5, Scene 2. This is like almost the culmination of the movie. This is like the peak. This is the best part. This is the greatest time in missions history. The Great Commission is being completed they're doing it overseas. You're going to do it here. Uh, the Great Commission is reversed. We have 251 languages spoken in the Twin Cities. You've heard me talk on these themes, so I won't hit it too hard. But we, we need to share the gospel with everyone, our friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, classmates. We're almost done. Don't worry. I have to use my spiritual gift of discouragement a little bit here. Um, a lot of people think this is the end of the world. This is the end times. It's interesting. All the major religions think that the world is going to end soon. Um, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Jehovah Witness, when they knock on your door, they want to talk about the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Mormons, Baha'i. Now, the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. Now, it doesn't say the year, so someone will get the year right. But we're getting close. And everyone feels it. The news feels it. You know, they talk about North Korea and this and that. And so 
even though people don't read the Bible, they sense that we're in Act 5, Scene 2 of, of the six-act play. So what's the so what? What am I trying to tell you? What's the so what here? Or the aha? Uh-huh. The aha uh-huh is that we need to study the Bible. We need to know what it says, not just what we think it says, but read it for ourselves, study it, and share what we're learning with others. So we need to join a Bible study or study it in your church. And I just gave a couple examples. A lot of you are in BSF, and that's a good Bible study. There's a couple. I'll give you a couple commercials. There's a thing called the Perspectives class, and it starts in January. We'll be doing it uh, 15 weeks on Monday nights, and it it talks about uh, God's heart for the world, these themes through the whole Bible. And there's about 200 classes around the country. It's been going since 1974. So if you're interested in that, look on the website or call me or talk to your pastor. Another one is Village School of the Bible. They have different classes around the Twin Cities. And I'll be teaching a class at Berean Baptist in Burnsville. I live in Burnsville. You don't have to be a member of Berean. A lot of people come from many churches But again, we're going to study the whole Testament, the intertestamental period, and the New Testament, these major themes, how they fit together. So if you'd rather study in a group, that would be some good places to study. Uh, But the point is start studying. Start getting ready to see what God wants to do here. And if it is the end times, how do we get ready? You know, when someone's coming to your house, you get ready, right? You clean it. This summer I had, on July 8th, I had 12 people over for an all-day meeting at my house. I cleaned for a week. And, uh, you know, you could literally eat off the floor, you know. And I cleaned my house every week, but I really cleaned it. And so when, when people, when something's coming up, you get ready for it. When you're getting ready to go to school, college, or getting ready to go back to school, you do certain things. So we need to get ready for Jesus to return. So we need to pray, we need to read your Bible and study it, we need to be obedient to what it says. And again, you can't do what it says if you don't know what it says. It's pretty basic logic, isn't it? Um, And we need to have eyes to see, ears to hear. We need to listen and watch and be discerning. Because there's also, at the end of the times, Satan wants to deceive us. And so we need to know if this is from God or what's happening. And then we need to be ready. Jesus is coming. And be expectant. We don't need to be depressed about it. This is a good thing. This is part of his plan. So again, the time is short, and we're close to the culmination of all of history. We're close to the end times, or we're in the end times. We're not going to know until we're partly in it. So again, we're in Act 5, Scene 2 of the six-act drama. Um, We're at least 90% there. Um, when you take a road trip and you're 90% there, you get excited. Oh, it's coming up. And you wake up and you start planning. So let's start planning for Jesus to return. So Jesus coming soon. He said this three times in one verse. So it's pretty important. He said, uh, look, I'm coming soon. His explanation point in Revelation 22, 7, 12, and 20. And so we all prepare a house, like I said, when someone comes, we need to prepare us. We're the house of God, not this building. We are the church. So we need to prepare our lives and prepare others. And again, not in a doom and gloom way, in a, in a joyful way, in, a, in an expectant way. 
And this is how the Bible ends. He says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So let me pray, and then we're done. Dear Lord, thank you for giving us the Bible, telling us what is going to happen, tell us what has happened, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, we're not blind like the world. We know how the story ends. We know who wins. You win. And we know that you've given Jesus as our Savior. We don't need to be fearful. Fear is from Satan. We don't need to be ignorant either. We need to read the Bible, understand it, and then share it as the good news, the gospel. So, Lord, just pray for Chapel Hill today that we would learn about the Bible, study it, either you know in groups or however we want to, Lord, and just see what each of, you would have each of us do. We all have a role in this divine story, and we're in Act 5, Scene 2 of this drama, Lord. So we just thank you for this church and all that you're doing and how you prepared this church and us uh, to move forward for your kingdom, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.